All right. Welcome back. It's uh it's opening day. Yeah, opening day, everybody. We are I'm I'm very excited about that, especially for the 162 and 0 pirates. That's that's the biggest news of the day, in case anyone hasn't watched. I I mean just say it. Uh, should we do lightning picks that me or you me or you won't remember or no one will remember by October for World Series? Um, I mean, the Dodgers are the best team in the business, are they not? Uh, let's do um, – I'll go uh, Mets and Dodgers for the NLCS. Dodgers make it back. And uh, Astros Twins. I'll throw in a wild card. Twins are – no, White Sox. White Sox, White Sox, Dodgers. There you go. No one's going to care or even remember. If somebody remembers that towards the end of the season, please let us know because we we would like to be know if we're right. Pirates odds, by the way, to win the World Series. It's one of the craziest numbers I've ever seen. It's the craziest in a long time for any professional sports team. It is 25,000 to one for them to win the World Series. Just to put that in perspective, the Jacksonville Jaguars right now before the draft are 10,000. That was the worst team in the league last year. So just putting that in perspective is incredible. Hey, but guess who's 1-0 and well on their way to the playoffs? Put a dollar on them. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a great payday, actually. A dollar. They they just got to make it to the World Series. You know what I mean? And that'd be an incredible payoff. But um, obviously, huge weekend. We're going to do a our, our favorite set. I think it might be our favorite segment now over buy or sell is do we understand? Because it's just, the stories we find are so outrageous. Um, so we'll, we'll do that on the back half. But obviously, we will recap Elite Eight and we will preview Final Four. So it's a jam-packed show. So... Let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. Ryan, what's your first story? All right. So my first um, hot take and and trying to speak this one into existence here um, as it comes to the Pirates baseball team is that Brian Hayes is going to be an NL MVP. Uh, so I don't know if anybody watched the Pirates game today, but in his first at bat, he had a two-run home run. Uh, Look, this kid is, he's a rookie this year. He only had 95 plate appearances last year, but there's a reason that he's the top prospect in the Pirates system. Now, I realize this kind of, this goes on a lot of factors. This goes in at least somebody in the NL if uh, the Pirates would decide to trade him, which happens a lot, um, keeping him in the NL. But look, this kid has all the tools to do it. Uh, Again, he's a defensive wizard as well. Uh, I know that that hard to illustrate whenever it comes to a radio show such as this but he's a great hitter over 95 plate appearances last year he was a 300 something hitter so he has all the tools to do it um and and maybe again it's not even a hot take it's me just trying to speak this into existence uh again one for five today but we remember the home run so he's off on a good start for his rookie campaign um, and we'll see an NL MVP some down, down the line here in the next three to four years. Um, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if you're saying that he will be an NL MVP, sure. Um, I, you know, I think what's fascinating about baseball, 
I'm I'm a casual fan. So I'll watch the Sunday night baseball game, even maybe not all nine innings, but during the summer, the dog days, which are, oh boy, they're they're so close, right? The dog days of summer are just the most brutal thing. The dog days of summer last year was from March until the end of July when sports came back. But, I mean, I was so excited when baseball came back last year, but I'm sorry, dude. I, as much as I love sports, the, that stretch in July from week, like the third week of July until like preseason of football, it's just brutal. But, I mean, if you're saying that will be an ML MVP, I guess I got to take your word for it. Uh, I do know that Fernando Tatis will make me be super, super in tune with everything going on in the Padres, which I never thought a sentence that I would say in my life. I also want to take back a take that I said a couple weeks ago. I know that I'm getting the Xbox at some point. Dude, the MLB show, the show looks incredible. I am so excited uh, to get an Xbox again to play that game. It looks unbelievable. Let me know whenever you unlock Roberto Clemente. Because that's really all I care about. If he was on the cover of the game, I would buy the game just to have the cover. That's that's where I'm at with that. But Tatis is actually one of the guys that I will challenge Hayes very much in the NL. Um, but you know me almost as well as anybody, and you know that I pick with my heart. So that might just be uh, that might be me getting ahead of myself, wanting to speak that into existence rather than it actually being true. But there is a lot of talent in the NL, but. Brian Hayes, if not an NL MVP, will be a perennial all-star for years to come. So a lot to look forward to in Pittsburgh. Uh, like I said, I'm just happy that they gave me an opening day win. It feels like that doesn't happen often. So celebrating. And then also, as, as we record this, I have the Penguins on too. So Bucks and Pucks is quite a, quite a way to spend a day. Uh, live update, 8-4 um, with the Rockies. By the way, Trevor's story is a guy that's getting a lot of traction right now as an NL MVP. Um, that, that's my last point on that, um, which doesn't shock me, which doesn't shock me. He's a little a, bit of a comeback. Yeah, he's a, little, he's a little dynamic there. So, very excited. Huge weekend, massive weekend. Stanford, South Carolina, Arizona, UConn. My hot take for this is UConn is – not going to win the championship over this over the weekend. What's fascinating about UConn, their dominance is so impeccable in women's basketball. But I do watch the women's tournament when it gets to Sweet 16, just because it, it's March Madness. It really is. Like, I mean, it's still, you know, you think all the high seeds win, but I mean, this tournament is just the same like the men. You got, you know, two one seeds and then you know you, 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 but in this one you got three one seeds left in, in uh arizona arizona's first appearance stanford's um i think 14th south carolina third yukon 14th straight <laughs> so i i don't i don't know where yukon goes from here by the way the it is a shame that the baylor yukon game was an elite eight game because baylor got screwed in that game screwed i was watched that over the oregon state game after we got done recording the other night because it was more entertaining and then i flipped back to oregon state just real quick and i was like oh oregon state's making a comeback 
I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of UConn anymore. Is their dominance good? Is it bad? I know that's a very old sports hatch cliche that used to be put out there all the time, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad. I think anything good for the sport is great. I just don't think they're going to win this weekend. And even if they did, it's a shame that it'll kind of just go unnoticed. The thing about UConn is, is they, they kind of turn into that team as much as you respect their dominance, they almost turn into that team that you root against because you don't want to see them win. Um, I think of it in the NFL, such as like the Patriots. A lot of people root against the Patriots because they're tired of seeing them win. Or I, I suppose even you could just narrow that into one person who continually wins Super Bowls. Um, but in basketball, people root against the, the stars. People don't want to see LeBron James win. Now, there, there are a number of people that do. But at the same time, there's, there's that large group of people that say, I am sick of seeing blank player or blank team win. And UConn fits that category. They're, they're one of those teams that is perennially in the final four or the championship game or winning championships. That's what they do. This almost makes me want to root for a team like Arizona just because they're not necessarily supposed to be there. They're the lowest of the seeds left. So go Wildcats. Why not? This was like a couple years ago when, who was it, Mississippi State? State, yeah. Won in a kind of a dramatic fashion in the women's championship. I they love hit, the underdog story. They hit a buzzer beater to uh, end UConn's undefeated season um, and winning streak. And it, it was one of the best basketball games I had watched in last six, seven years, probably. Um, I, I will say this unbelievable, unbelievable clip. If go to YouTube, go to Instagram, wherever, look it up. It's one of the most unbelievable sports sound clips. It'll go down as legendary. That's how incredible it is. Kim Malarkey, the head coach of Baylor University. I don't know if you saw this. Did you see this? From this past weekend, yeah. So after she loses the game uh, against UConn the other night in the Elite Eight, she says, and I quote, wouldn't it be a shame if – uh, COVID testing knocked out one of the final four teams. Uh, if someone gets final four, they should, uh, I'm sorry, if someone gets COVID, they should just uh, still continue to play the game um, and be done with the testing. Whew. That, that's a paraphrase, but it's an incredible soundbite. It, it's right up there with uh, Mike Gundy. I'm 40. <laughs> That, that's one of the all-time sound bites of sport. I like to use that one just in everyday life when, whenever something happens because what what is a better sound bite than just looking at somebody and going, I'm a man, I'm 40. Like Everybody knows what that, even if you're not a football fan, college football fan, you've heard that because it's just an iconic sound clip. When- I mean, <laughs> just thinking about her clip, I understand what she means. I understand what the premise of her argument is, is you would not want to see COVID at this point. Knock it to, sure. I understand that, but you also have to continue to follow protocols. Like I, I don't understand what the, how hard that necessarily is. I, I think at this point they're going to play them out. And if they have to wait some time, they would, but I, I digress. I, I won't get into a COVID talk of, of that because you just, you have to be, you have to have a better, uh, sense of your surroundings than than that clip yeah last thing i'll say about that clip i it's incredible seriously go youtube it instagram it's like a minute 40 long um 
what they should do for that clip from now on, whoever takes that video and edit, edit, edit it for their own YouTube page should put in right behind it, Jim Calhoun. I fucked up. I took a mecha Okafor. Ryan Gomes was 260 pounds out of high school. <laughs> that that That's what should follow after that. Somebody make that happen. Somebody with much more. Well, you have premier skills. You make it happen. Okay. I yeah. can't do it. Right. I have no idea what I'm doing. I support it. I love it. <laughs> Just a... Yeah, and we could we could have a big. I'm sure there is on YouTube a big compilation of the best sports sound bites. That's that sounds like something to get lost in a rabbit hole with. All right, I never thought I would say this next sentence, but I'm gonna say it. Texas is back. I love the Chris Beard hiring. I, I think what he's done with Texas Tech and what he's been able to accomplish there, he can translate over to Texas. Now, what I do find weird about it is hiring within the same conference. I think that is a tad strange because you don't you don't really think of it in in terms of like I, I think it, I, again I always say this I think in terms of the NFL you don't see a lot of inter division trades, and, and that's almost what this feels like in college football or college basketball at this time rather because there's only eight teams in this conference or ten teams in this conference so he goes to one of the other nine teams that he's not coached that he's not been with. So that's kind of strange to me, but look, his success to Texas is, or Texas tech rather is very notable A championship appearance. This is the kind of success that Texas expects in sports. Shaka smart. Didn't give him quite that level of success. So Texas is back. It's incredible that Texas Tech agreed to the buyout too, right? Because you don't mm -hmm. think that would be something that they would want to do. But I guess their hand was kind of forced because they knew that he was going to leave anyway. It is also incredible. The man only has like an hour drive from Lubbock to Austin, essentially. And he he's moving across the state. He's not moving across the country. Like Shaka smart to me when he got hired at Texas – was an upgrade, but after his first season, it felt like a massive downgrade because it felt like he didn't really do anything for them. I mean, Chris Beard took Texas Tech to a national title, champ, runner up, runner up, I should say. I mean, they were four points away from winning that game a couple of years ago. So in 2018, I mean, that that is what, four years old? That's not very far at all. So, I mean, the guy's a great coach, three out of five, three appearances out of five seasons at uh, in the tourney as uh, Texas Tech's head coach. I don't know what will happen with Texas Tech going forward because they're obviously going to take a massive step back. Who are they going to hire? Um, on the heels of all this, it feels like that's nothing compared to Roy Williams announcing that he's retiring today after 33, uh, 13 seasons, excuse me, at North Carolina. So a lot of coaching carousel news. I do think... I do think someone's going to slide into the Texas Tech job that's going to be a smaller mid-major guy. The classic mid-major moves up to a big school type of coach. But I don't think you can do better than Chris Beer because he's one of the best coaches in the country. And if anything, he's going to have to – I wouldn't be surprised if there's two or three guys from that Texas Tech team that transfer over to Texas because 
that happened when Calipari left Memphis to Kentucky is the best example I can give there. So we'll see what happens, but you know, good for him. And uh, they're, they're going to crush us over the next four or five seasons. They're going to crush West Virginia. Beard seems like he runs a good program and people will follow him. So I, I have no doubt about that. You know, the, the other thing that's weirder about this, and I know we've had more time to think about this is Maybe Shaka Smart was on his way out of Texas anyway, but why Marquette? What what stands out about Marquette? I mean, Dwayne Wade's run back in the early 2000s, but I, I understand they're like on our radar for basketball, but I, I, I can't really make out what's more appealing about the Marquette job than I would a Texas job. Uh, Marquette had Dwayne Wade run. Jimmy Butler, they won a big East conference title. I think a couple of years ago, I think Buzz Williams was the head coach of Marquette then went down to Virginia tech. I think he's from Wisconsin. That that's the only thing. I don't, I don't think that's an upgrade though. I really don't. I, he used to be the guy that everyone thought was going to be the next huge thing. I, I'm sure he's a great guy, but I just don't think he's going to take Marquette to if you look at that BCU run, not to get too deep into him, but that run is one of the most legendary things you've ever seen because it was VCU, man. They had a one final four appearance. It wasn't like a Butler thing where they went back to back runner up national titles, or it wasn't like Wichita state where they had been at two final fours, you know, previously. I, I just, I don't, I don't know where, I, I don't know what he brings for them. I think the the last thing I'll say that I think with that VCU run that's kind of culminated his career is how young he was because he's actually only 43 years old right now. So walk it back a couple years to when he was at VCU. So 2009, we're talking 12 years. I mean, he was early 30s whenever that happened. So I think that's what's kind of propelled him into this coaching thing and where he's seen as a, such a great candidate. I mean, yeah, VCU was good and, and he was fine. It's like, I have nothing against Shaka Smart. It just seems like a strange move to me, but I I yield my time. I would love to talk about this next story because it's so fascinating. I want to isolate this from our Final Four preview. Is that okay? Yes. Because I feel, like it. It, I feel like it deserves attention by itself. Mm-hmm. Baylor ended a 71-year drought getting to the final four the other night. I I feel like that will go unnoticed as we approach final four Saturday, one of the best sports days of the year, let's be honest. I, I feel like it deserves recognition because hot take, I did not see them overcoming the hurdle of Arkansas. And to be honest with you, that game was a wash from tip-off. Like, Arkansas was not even close to Baylor. So, I I don't think I'd be surprised if they're hoisting the championship in Indianapolis on Monday night around 11.45. I uh, will get into that a little bit more on the back half, but that that game, and again, we'll talk about this too, but 
if there was ever a point where Baylor was not in control, show me that point. I mean, Arkansas had their runs and would get back a little bit, but Baylor was just they they were out from from the get go and they did not stop. And I I love the stories too. I think everybody does of teams breaking droughts. I found myself rooting for the Cubs a few years ago whenever they broke their World Series drought. And it's unfortunate that that's going to go unnoticed because I feel like in college basketball, nobody really thinks of that stuff as much because there are so many more teams. So it's not necessarily as prominent when you look at like the MLB where there's 30 teams and you're like, this team has not made a World Series since blank because all the other teams in college basketball, we're talking what, 200 some teams. So there's a lot of teams that you could say, Never made, only made once, something like that. But I think this should be a bigger storyline because Baylor is back on the map. Baylor has been back on the map. They've just not overcame that hurdle to get to the final four. So I think this should be a bigger story going in. But I think what has kind of taken over the storyline, and, and again, I know we'll address some of this on the back half, is no teams east of the Mississippi. There's a battle of Texas. UCLA as a first four is now in the final four. Gonzaga is still undefeated. It's like Baylor's buried in there. No, nobody's really talking. And, and you're right. Nobody's talking about that side of it because there's other storylines that play better. So we, we miss the fact that Baylor's not in the final four or hasn't been in the final four for many years, but here we are. And I still think they're the champions uh, going into going into Monday. I also want to attack it from this angle because I don't think he's going to leave at least anytime soon, but how many times over the next give or take two months during the coaching carousel and over the next two or three years, are we going to hear the name Scott drew mm-hmm. be pushed to the next big coaching job? Because what he did at Baylor getting them to 71 year drought ending. That's going to get him, I'm sure either a a contract extension or B a higher pay raise at Baylor and point C to all that is I'm telling you, man, the North Carolina job, I don't care who you are or what kind of program you're at. You will leave to coach a place like North Carolina. It's one of those jobs in sports that you're like, Oh, I have the opportunity to do this. I'm going to do it. I mean, the best example I can give of that is Charlie Weiss, the most unqualified guy ever, went from the Patriots to Notre Dame. And he was probably the most unqualified guy ever, but it was like Notre Dame, Charlie Weiss, Patriots, okay. The thing about it is, is Baylor, I think, was because I think you and I remember a time where Baylor was kind of just a school. They didn't necessarily have, they didn't have like a basketball or football. Well, they were nothing in football until like 2009 when RG three was a freshman. Right. Then Art Bryles came in and there's a lot of controversy around that, but we, we all have heard that story and not, not great. We, we all know how that one ends, but I think Baylor has really became a basketball school. Do you, let me throw out a name for you. Do you remember Rico Gathers? I loved him. No, I do not remember him. I do remember um, they had a wide receiver with RG3, though, that I will never forget. Corey Coleman? Corey Coleman, yes. Uh, um, just 
running all over the field like it was Tech Mobile. Rico Gathers was a basketball player, and he's like my ideal basketball player a little bit. He was a power forward, but like a little bit shorter of a power forward, but extremely power, power forward. Great rebounder. Actually played for the Cowboys for a little while. He was one of those, played college basketball, went to the NFL type guys, Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez-esque. But look, Scott Drew's in in the right path now of making them a, a premier program. And I think a team like Kansas, all well, much more name recognition, they have to be nervous, I think, in, in some senses, looking at the Big 12, because we just talked about Chris Beard. So I think that's important. But also, you know, Baylor's in the Final Four. So <laughs> there's another great team there. And, of course, you can never rule out teams like West Virginia. I understand that they're not necessarily the namesake, but I don't think Bill Self is going to let Kansas fall. But the Big 12 has a lot of competition that's certainly, excuse me, not going anywhere anytime soon. And Oklahoma with Lon Kruger was just in a Final Four um, with the Buddy Heald year. You can classify that, though, as more of the player for that year because he had one of those incredible runs. I mean, they got crushed by Villanova in that Final Four game. But that was just in 2016, man. Like, that was – that's not very far, far along, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you've actually alluded to my last story a couple of times, but um, kind of open it up for discussion a little bit here. Talk about the UNC job. So, obviously, the, the big news of the sports day yesterday being that Roy Williams retired after many years as Kansas head coach and North Carolina head coach coach extremely accomplished um you're 100 right everyone looks at this job and says i would leave where i'm at for it but i think it's actually going to be potentially another big name I, I think that this job is filled by somebody who is either coming out of the nba somebody will leave an nba job for this or this will be another big college basketball name that goes down to North Carolina. Uh, One that I've seen kind of as a, you know, maybe as a joke kind of kicked around potential scene. He could be leaving. How would you feel about Brad Stevens at North Carolina coach of the Celtics moving down to North Carolina to coach the Tar Heels? I don't think it's completely out of the question. I think there's a lot of candidates on the table, but I don't think this is going to be one of those we're trying to hire for the future. This is going to be a hire to win now and win in the next 10 to 15 years situation. I was just about to mention Brad Stevens because ever since the story got announced today that he's retiring, basically Brad Stevens should have his own ESPN bottom line like Dwight Howard and LeBron used to have like for, for their free agency and, and trades because that's how much you're going to hear this name until a coach is officially hired if it's him or someone else because people keep – putting him on every job. They put him on the Indiana job. He didn't go to Indiana. You know, he, he, he stayed with the Celtics. I would not be surprised to see a guy like Hubert Davis, uh, someone who was on Roy Williams staff, someone who was an NBA player. Wouldn't be surprised. You know, it's not as crazy as you think, but you know how the broadcaster to coach is not a crazy move anymore for the most part. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Jeff Van Gundy step in coaching some college kids. Wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Greg Anthony, who was a point guard at North Carolina, and his son was a point guard at North Carolina. So wouldn't be surprised to see a couple names like that. 
Um, I think they're going to try to think really outside the box because they're obviously going to want to make a splash. I think Coach K is on, obviously, I would say, put it in the crystal ball file. Coach K, two seasons from now, done coaching. So I, I feel like they're, they're going to want the upper hand on that. And I, I feel like they're going to go with an assistant, not, not a coach. Um, who's like currently a coach, they're going to go for a guy who's on the bench somewhere. They, I, you know what um, no one's talked about, but he's never done college. But I would not be surprised to see Mike Brown. Mike Brown, or here's a great name, John Beeline. Because mm. John Beeline's one of the most successful college coaches of, of all time. Well, you can hate him if you want to, but he's at Big Ten Network right now. He he'd obviously make more money coaching in North Carolina, and let's be honest, when he when he um, was at Michigan, they were as more successful they had ever been as a basketball school. And now that when he left, it was in great hands with Jawan Howard. So Jawan Howard just has to keep everything going smooth. I think John Beeline could be a guy that we're seeing in the uh, the teal there. I think you prove a point though with, with this though, of how appealing of a job this is that you can literally look at every nook to find out somebody who would be qualified for this job. Anyone who's anyone is going to be considered for this job. And I think most people, not all, but I think most people would leave to go to North Carolina because it is a basketball school. I mean, when, when you really think of the, I know people use this term all the time and, and maybe it's overplayed and annoying, but the blue bloods of college basketball, who are the blue bloods of college basketball? It's literally all blue teams, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke are the first four that come to mind to me. And I think you could probably even put a team like UCLA in there because of their run in the seventies. That's even translated over time too. But this is, this is one of those jobs that's not just going to be, oh, we're just replacing somebody. You are you are filling in behind Smith. Now, Williams, this is a lineage. This is something that has to be taken, and they will find a candidate that fits it the best. But I think everything can be on the table for them now because they pretty much have their hand at whoever they want to hire. Answer yes or no. Do you think John Beeline could end up in the Tar Heel Blue. Yes. I think he could be considered. I don't know if that's the end-all be-all, but it would not surprise me based on his resume if he was one of the at least final interviewees. I mean, he was in so many final fours at Michigan. So many. I mean, he, And had good runs at West Virginia. Great I mean, that's 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 a West Virginia team that I think is kind of forgotten about because it was because everybody seems to remember Bob Huggins. But those beeline teams were good, too. Then he goes to Michigan and makes them more successful, too. And you could make the argument that we're known more as a basketball school during that time. So I, I don't see why his name shouldn't be in the conversation. My last story was going to be entertainment, but um going through here i actually find this more intriguing because it seems like this is getting a lot of traction here recently 
people were starting to question how come Antonio Brown is the one of the guys that of all the free agents that Tampa had, they re-signed Leonard Fournette, Gronk, et cetera, et cetera. How come he is not one of the guys they've re-signed already? And you know what my answer to that is? I don't know if they're willing to pay him either A, what he wants, or B, I know he's Tom's guy, but I don't know, man. I, I really don't know if he's something you want to take. Let, let, let's look at it from this perspective. When he went to Vegas, or Oakland at the time, it was Oakland still, one of the worst off-seasons you've ever seen in a, not just NFL history, sports history, period. I mean, you, you cannot have, and he was on hard knocks. He was on hard knocks, which made, made it more magnified because everyone saw what he was doing. Like he, like they would film him, whether it's how they edit it or whatever. He wasn't showing up at the practice. They were filming him like in Miami, whatever, whatever. Then Mike Mayock cuts him. One of the most brilliant guys as far as scouting has ever seen. And there's a reason he's having massive success in Vegas now with John because they know what they're doing. He goes to New England. He plays for a game. He doesn't get signed at all, whether it's legal trouble, whatever. He was not signed, period, until last year with Tampa for half the season. I don't know if they're willing to take on the risk again for him to be a part of the team. I, I mean, maybe Tom is and him work well together, and that's why you don't hear anything when he was there last year about him having issues or whatever. It's kind of similar to when he was in Pittsburgh. You never heard of any issues. But do you really want an aging wide receiver again in the slot when you have guys like Chris Godwin? And look, this is one of the most deep wide receiver classes that you, we've seen in a while, to be honest with you. And there's a lot of good slot guys. And I don't know if they're willing to do that just yet. Maybe wait after the draft. But I, I don't know. It feels like a risky signing. But the only way I see it working is because, hello, the Mount Rushmore is your quarterback. Tom Brady is the best four quarterbacks of all time, all rolled into one. I think the reason that Antonio Brown does not garner the attention that he does, that he probably maybe even should, is just because he's now in, I think, his 10th or 11th year in the league. So he's he's a longtime veteran now. I know it doesn't sound that – or doesn't sound right to say that. I mean, he was drafted in 2010 by Pittsburgh. So he has been he has been around for a long time, and he proved last year that he can still be a valuable asset. But I think the other thing you have to consider too is just how long you're going to have a guy like this. And I think this probably factors into the free agent decision of of pretty much everybody, saying that okay, so we can almost essentially pay Antonio Brown what we may pay a you know a second or third round receiver who's going to give a similar production who may be able to stay longer and have a longer tenure and pick up his fifth year option or something of that sort. I, I think Antonio Brown still has gas left in him, but I don't, I don't know if he's going to stay in Tampa because I think that they can, Tom Brady is the ultimate guy of just turning out stars at the wide receiver position over the course of his career. I know a lot was made. What was that? Two years ago, his last year, I guess last year, two years whatever his last year in new england a lot was made about that like oh he doesn't have any weapons tom brady made his weapons 
he had great players because he helped make a lot of these guys. I mean, Randy Moss certainly had his, you know, we're not going to argue that Randy Moss is not one of the greatest receivers of all time, but there were so many other guys that had so much success in New England because, well, they played in New England. Wes Welker's best years were in New England, and he also got to play with Peyton Manning. Imagine having that lineage of playing with the best two quarterbacks of all time. But guys like Dion Branch went to Seattle, didn't really hear about him there. I would rather play with Tom Brady because at least I know I'm going to get a contract after that. But I think a lot of it has to do with Antonio Brown's age. And I, I just don't know if teams are willing to put money into a 10th or 11th year receiver that you mentioned. It is probably going to be playing mostly from the slot because he doesn't necessarily have all the same breakaway skills as he did during his, his prime in Pittsburgh. It also is interesting because it's gaining traction on the heels of everyone loves including myself, the Tyler Lockett extension in mm -hmm. Seattle. I mean, that's a that's a key thing you have to do if you want to keep Russ. And all the noise around that, I think, has died down. I think it's what we talked about a couple months ago. It was just a classic off-season story. I, I do – I will say this. It'll never happen, but I wish they did the NBA model in the NFL as far as off-season goes. Do the draft first – free agency second because there is a reason that free agency in NBA is so ridiculous because at that point they've already met, you know, guys with ceilings that they've drafted or hopeful prospects, whatever drafted two rounds compared to seven. But when that midnight hits for the first day of free agency, I keep that's the only day I keep Sports Center on pretty much all day and night for the first two days of NBA free agency because it's insane. I, they'll never do that in the NFL. It just I feel like it makes more sense in the long term because I think even baseball, um, you know, the draft is in the middle of the year. But I mean, you look at it, the draft is still technically before free agency and the same way with hockey. So I don't understand why the NFL do, does free agency first draft second, because to be honest with you, I, I never thought it made sense. And I feel like it makes it more complicated for teams to figure out around trading because draft draft weekend is one of the biggest trade weekends um, all year in the NFL. It, I think it's bigger than the trade deadline. Oh yeah. I mean, the NFL probably of all sports is the weakest of trades whenever it comes to trading within the season it just doesn't seem to happen. And when it does, it's, it's nothing major. You, you don't really hear about it a whole lot. Um, now, I mean, certainly as a Steelers fan, I'm not diminishing a trade like Minka Fitzpatrick. That certainly has helped us. But, it, but like you, you get news up until the deadline for, for basketball and baseball, especially. Hockey, again, still kind of falls third because it's not as, po excuse me, as popular, but it still has that like notoriety up until the deadline. I don't think a lot of people even know when the NFL trade deadline is. <laughs> they couldn't tell you when it happens in the season because they would say, I didn't even know there was one. So what I think Antonio Brown might end up though doing is he may remain unsigned through the draft and may fall into a little bit more of a Cam Newton-esque situation where teams then evaluate their roster after the draft and see it as a, Oh, so we can bring him in for relatively cheap because he's looking to play now. We'll give him a shot to play. Maybe that's the Bucks. Maybe he does stay with Tampa. 
but I, I don't, I don't foresee him signing. He certainly won't sign a big contract and, and wherever he goes, it's probably only going to be a one year deal two max, but he's, he's just on the back end of his career. And even though he still has a little bit of a dynamic ability, no one's going to give him a long-term deal. He's, he's in a short-term realm right now. And honestly, I, I think he's going to have to wait until May or maybe even June or July to sign. Ryan, before we get to the second half, one of my favorite things to do, not just every day, but going into the weekend, especially we're getting around that springtime, you start to feel good, you, you, you get the warm weather, you get the, you get the spring sports like opening day, baseball, you get NASCAR, you get championship Premier League playoffs. But I love listening to music during all that stuff while I'm waiting for the games all day. And I do that on my favorite service, Amazon Music. I mean, dude, I was listening to jazz again today. I don't know what it is, but I've been on a huge jazz kick on Amazon Music. It's like kind of nice and relaxing to sit back and watch sports. Like it, it just kind of plays with it. I've, I've never tried that, but I may have to, I may have to do it. That reminds me of the, the office scene where Michael talks about basketball being like jazz the first season. Yeah, a lot, lot different than when he's listening to um, the song in his office eating pretzels during pretzel day. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can listen to all those songs on Amazon Music, though. So, I mean, you can just put together all of your favorite office songs that you hear on Amazon Music. But uh, I was listening to a little a Day to Remember. I, I think I posted some. I know I did. I posted them on my Instagram story. I don't, know, I don't know why I was on that kick with that album. A lot of people didn't like that album. I so I went with it. Uh, also a good day to play the John uh, Fogarty song center field because of opening day. You know, put me in coach. I'm ready to play. It's a perfect, it's like the perfect baseball song. It, I don't really associate that with anything else. So put some John Fogarty on your playlist, but sign up with Amazon Music today to listen to all these songs. You can check out your favorite jazz songs. You can make playlists with all of your favorite songs or have ones crafted to find new music but you can do that all on Amazon Music with millions of songs available at your disposal. And when you sign up, make sure you sign up with the link, getamazonmusic.com backslash to Ryan Sports to sign up. It's $7.99 a month. You have unlimited access to these songs. Again, that link to sign up is getamazonmusic.com backslash to Ryan Sports to sign up today. Guys, I, I seriously can't tell you enough. Sometimes me and Ryan will just send texts to each other with Amazon Music links for songs to listen to. I know. I, I like whenever you. Uh, I like whenever you give me some throwbacks to the two thousands. That's that's the best part because it, it like takes me back to that like pop punk era whenever it was actually fun and it, it reminds me of childhood. That is that is what Blink One Eighty Two and Jimmy Eat World do for me is remind me of childhood. All right, so let's do it this way. Let's do do we understand, and let and then let's do the recap of Elite Eight and uh, weekend massive deep dive Final Four preview. Love it, I'm in, and you know how much we love. Do we understand? Oh, dude, I got I got uh, two great ones today. So, first one. Do we understand this headline? Worst mice plague I've ever seen. Millions of rodents descend on Eastern Australia. 
So from the story, basically, wherever you go in Eastern Australia right now, in businesses, in hotels, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of mice. Uh, and I, no one's going to see this at home, but I think I've seen it. Or this, yeah, I've, I've seen a video of it. I, I don't understand that. That is frightening. I mean, I like the movie Ratatouille, okay? But I do not want a rat cooking my food. I also don't want to see a rat in a kitchen, let alone hundreds of them. That scene in Ratatouille where the health inspector walks in and the rats are all just standing there, that is what I think when I see that photo because that is terrifying. That, that is a nightmare. Imagine walking out in your backyard in rural West Virginia and just seeing like thousands of mice just sprinting across your property. That is, that's terrifying. And that video really like, it, like folks, if you've not seen the video, go watch the video, like just like rat plague or mouse plague, whatever. And it's completely dark and you see like mice scurrying across the ground. Like you don't even, you, you know, they're mice. But like it's completely pitch black, and they're just hundreds and thousands of like little moving lines. What do you do? Like, what's your defense? Like, do you just stay in your house and hope they don't burrow under? I Smoke bombs? Know. I don't know. I mean, what's crazy to me is like I want to go on Survivor, and that's a life dream of mine. And I know that I'm going to be sleeping on the ground, and there's going to be rats and and snakes and everything. I'm fine knowing that that's the environment I'm going into because there's not hundreds and thousands of rats. There's like two or three of them and, you know, I'll protect myself. But that, that's just, uh, no, thank you. If that, if that was on Survivor, hundreds and thousands of rats, never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll skip the dream, but, you know. <laughs> be the only there would be other people that would go out of it too, just based on that video. Um, you could put like raid in um I guess I've never tried raid on a mouse before. Can't say I've ever had that happen, but you put like raid in a water gun and just go after it. I, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. Um, I didn't even realize there were that many mice in Australia. I guess I've never really I guess I've never really sat down and thought of the uh, mouse population of foreign countries, but Australia certainly has a, a fair number of them in a small land area that work on it. Um, fun fact, live update, the Royals 13, Rangers 9. Um, that's something I don't understand. <laughs> like I love high baseball scores. 15-12, 11-7, like pretty much anything over 15 runs is a fun baseball game. Do not give me a one nothing, um, twelve inning uh, game though. Those are miserable. There, there was a really good one though a couple years because it's it's like the argument of liking defense and football because it's the same thing. You're like, oh, I don't mind a seven to three game because I love defense. There was a the Pirates played the Dodgers. Rich Hill was the pitcher. He took a no hitter into the tenth inning and lost because his first hit that he gave up was a solo home run to the Pirates at PNC Park. So he gave up one hit. The Dodgers lost one nothing because they couldn't score. Like, mm -hmm. you might think it was, like, and I agree, like, the whole game was, like, you're like, okay, 
come on, we need something to happen here. But the ending was so great that it just made it fun. So I guess I can see it both ways. Uh, my final do we understand story. So apparently the internet's pissed off. And apparently they are not happy over this next story. I definitely do not understand. This is a massive space hotel type of, I do not understand this. So Wheel of Fortune last night, uh, contestants named Peterson, P-E-D-E-R-S-O-N. He loses the puzzle because contestants are not allowed to say and in their answers. So he gets the phrase right, but he answers it like this. Soul flounder, cod, and catfish. The host, Pat Sajak, says, no, sorry, that's not right. Um, we're unable to solve the puzzle because you said and. I don't understand that. Like, that's that's ridiculous. Like, just give the guy the points he got the puzzle right and no wonder fans of wheel of fortune and, and social media is pissed off and the, and the stories you know on yahoo entertainment and cnn and box news i mean that's ridiculous i mean that i mean he got the puzzle right that that's the whole point of the story so because he put and in there i mean if that was the case me and you would never be able to speak again no that we they would just they, that's we wouldn't be contestants no <laughs> they would just look at us and say well and no but maybe this is a hot take but i i don't really care for pat sajak anyway i i always prefer jeopardy over wheel of fortune in that seven to seven thirty time slot I, I i mean i understand that alex trebek is no longer with us but i like i i think i would be better at wheel of fortune but I just wouldn't want to do it because I would do something like that and I would get mad. I'd be like, but I got the answer right. What do you mean that I'm not allowed to say? That's almost like in Jeopardy, you have to start your answer with what is. And if you don't say what is, they just stare at you. But see, that's a stupid rule too, you know? Cause like in who wants to be a millionaire or deal or no deal, any of those game shows, like you can like those, you can just answer whatever, but like, the, apparently the story goes after the show went off the air because obviously they tape a massive amount of them ahead of time you know so they're stocked up for two or three months until they film again and apparently the contestant was upset no wonder i mean like he got the puzzle right and it i don't i just do not understand that do you remember a couple years back uh they know how they do like college editions of shows or like kids editions of shows and such they did a college edition of Wheel of Fortune and the the kid went to answer the puzzle and he, I can't remember the exact finishing line of the puzzle, but it was like, he he answered it as Greek God Achilles. It was Greek God Achilles and they couldn't give it to him because he didn't pronounce it right. And I'm like, that's the worst advertisement for Indiana University that you could ever give is that you can't pronounce. I mean, I realize that not everybody's taking Greek mythology in college, but you have to you have to give a little bit there and pronounce it right. There's a great Seinfeld bit, and ironically enough, it happened to me years later, where uh, it's an episode called The Bubble Boy, and uh, he uh, pronounced uh, Moors. 
And uh, Costanza said, no, this, I'm sorry, the card says moose. And he's like, no, that's, that's not the right answer. He's like, it's a misprint. And something like that happened to me very, very similar. Like years later, I said something and they were like, no, that's not what the card says. And I was like, I Googled the answer. And I was like, that's what the answer is. And they didn't give it to me. Hmm. Look, I, I, I sympathize with this guy because I would be mad that I'm not allowed to say and. I can understand if I mispronounce something and somebody was like, yeah, that's how you're supposed to say it. But because I said, okay, whatever. I, right. Wheel of Fortune, I, I, I could go on about how I don't like Wheel of Fortune. Also, which, maybe I've asked you this before, which one comes on first, Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy? I think it's Wheel of Fortune, right? Okay, so in Morgantown here, Jeopardy comes on first, and Wheel of Fortune comes on second. See, I don't like that. But back home, it's Wheel of Fortune comes on first and Jeopardy comes on second, which to me is just the right way to do it because that's what I'm used to. And they're always on different networks, but I guess that's what happens when you're syndicated on every network and they're just mostly reruns. Yeah, I one thing I don't understand is the time change between Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune in different areas of the world. Don't like that. Okay. So I have two good ones here. Uh, the first one, I'll just give you the headline because I, I don't necessarily even, I didn't read the article. I'm not going to act like I did. The, the, it's even really kind of a condensed headline is that bidets are supposedly now going to lessen the toilet shortage of the world. So what part of that would you like to break down that you don't understand? Because I don't understand the whole thing, but I feel like you can do this in chunks of what we don't understand. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, let, let's start with the most obvious part of that. There's apparently a toilet shortage in the world. I had My no voice idea. cracked because I'm I'm just smiling from ear to ear. I I, I don't understand. There's a toilet. I have no idea. You all can come use mine. <laughs> just let me know you're coming. I, wow, that is uh, that's a loaded headline. I mean, I I just I saw that on Twitter and I'm like. What do you mean there's a toilet shortage? Like, is there a material shortage? Because I understand that happens. There's a material shortage and things, you know, you can't build something or it, the price goes up or something. What? I didn't realize that people were like, well, I went to, I mean, last year I get the toilet paper. I don't understand the toilet paper shortage, but I do because people are nuts. Has it like escalated into that people are like buying multiple toilets now and hoarding them? Maybe that lady who sneaks onto the planes is buying toilets from, you know, state to state and city to city that she goes to. I mean, that's the only thing she that I can a second hobby. of. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone needs two hobbies. Hers is sneaking onto airplanes and hoarding toilets. Yeah. I we mean, figured it out. There it is. I mean, he, here's, here's the thing. When you go into a public restroom and there's like 12 toilets and... It's excessive. Well, 
Not always. I, I, I do think the maneuver of the guy standing right next to you at a urinal where there's like nine other urinals open and he just chooses to stand next to you. That is a crazy move. So I don't understand that. And I don't understand. Apparently we're in a toilet shortage, not a toilet paper like last year, a toilet shortage. Right. So like, again, toilet paper makes sense because people were crazy and just went like, like three, bu- like three bucks for like a value pack. Right. I mean, it was whatever, whatever. But the, the other part of this that I think that I understand even less is how we're bidets supposed to solve this because isn't that part of the toilet isn't that like something you add i mean like i know yeah. some of them they have filled in the the bougie toilets but isn't that something that's just like an how does that help if i don't have a toilet here's food to cook but you don't have a stove <laughs> i mean Dude, that is a true gold do we understand story because I thought you couldn't top the one from a couple of weeks ago with that lady sneaking onto the planes. That's that's pretty hard to top. I mean, what? I think we're both confused as there's a toilet shortage. I I would love to know. I would love to know the amount of like who's sell are is Lowe's and Home Depot selling out like toilets like like their Black Friday and Cyber Monday like are they just going off the shelves and they're hard to keep $25 do <laughs> for 45 yeah, <laughs> I mean it's um and a, and, a, and you're right a bidet's part of the toilet you know family I guess so that that's apparently we don't have a bidet shortage yeah no apparently not no, I think bidets, though, are big in Europe. Someone Google that. Uh, you know what? I'll Google it right now. Bad radio. Yeah, I, I again, I'm not going to act like I read the article and choose to understand. This could, like, maybe just be in, like, France. I don't know. But, <laughs> but still, just the idea of there being a toilet shortage somewhere is, it, it's a, it is a wild thing to me because, where else where else do you get a toilet? I feel like you only get them at Lowe's or Home Depot. Yeah, yeah, Walmart doesn't sell them. By the way, this isn't good. Uh, when you type in bidets, the first thing that Google suggests is bidets are unsanitary. So that's not good. Well, maybe maybe we need to rethink the article. That's a that's a bidet writing the article. <laughs> bidets are going to help solve the funded by the largest bidet company in the world. All right. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Well, that one was fun, but I, I actually like this story more, believe it or not. Um, I teeter the line of understanding it, but it's just, it's fun to me. Uh, the headline is Ravens are accused of stealing groceries from customers in an Alaska Costco. So apparently there is a, (laughs) apparently there is a group of ravens that just stalks out a specific Costco in Alaska and they have this plan where they just steal people's food. This guy in the article, I actually read this article. This guy talks about, um, he's got like this big piece of like rib that he was going home to smoke 
And whenever he went to like take his cart back or turned around, it was gone. Ravens just flew away with it. And he also said that this is not the first time that this has happened. Mm. They have a plan to what they do to these people. Ooh. Are we um, about to be taken over by birds? Like, I, I'm not sure I understand. I didn't even know Ravens existed in Alaska. Like, isn't it too cold for the for them to exist up there? Like, I mean, I watched game I watched Game of Thrones and you know Ravens delivering, you know, messages from Winterfell to, you know, King's Landing. But that's a fictional setting. So I didn't even know Ravens existed in Alaska. Number two, I watched Life Below Zero. I've never heard one of them be like, you know what? Hmm. We're getting our meat taken today by a raven. I have heard, I've heard, I've heard though birds. I don't know why birds just like to swarm on something. Um, at least in Life Below Zero, once they kill a moose or whatever they're doing up there in that show, uh, once that happens, the birds are like on top of it within like the hour if you're not like cutting the meat up. So, uh, how strong are these ravens? Are they like DC Marvel comic book characters strong? So I'm actually, I, I got to the end of the article here, uh, and there is actually a count of the raven population in Alaska, mm. if you're interested in that, because yeah. we are just became a wild game podcast in the last five <laughs> minutes. Yeah. So throwaway sports, it's the two Ryan's game show. <laughs> we could do a game show. Never mind. Anyway, Anchorage. Audubon Society tallies, or Anchorage, not necessarily Alaska, but the Anchorage Audubon Society tallies the raven population every December. It sounds like a fun job. The group reported that 923 common ravens in 2018, 621 in 19, and 750 in 2020. So what that suggests to me is that right now, currently, there's about 750 smart birds that are sitting out on a Costco just waiting for morons to bring out their meat and turn around that they can just pick it out. You know what? I don't think this is news. I think this is natural selection. Keep your meat, put it in a bag. Then they can't see it. Then they won't like a freezer bag. Be smarter. I, I, you know what? I'm with the Ravens on this one. Yeah. I, uh, that's, uh, that's super loaded. Um, Man, those ravens must have strong jaws. Like, to take a piece of meat, like ribs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did the guy, the guy actually, like, tried to describe the meat. He said the piece of meat was about four by seven inches. Was the guy, I don't know, was he measuring the meat in the store? Like, how do you know? <laughs> don't like, think it's you by the <laughs> You go into Kroger with a ruler and go, oh, okay, yeah, this one's a little bit wider than the other ones. <laughs> I've never watched Top Chef and then walk up to the deli counter and go, yeah, can I get a seven by nine uh, piece of uh, codfish there? <laughs> you know what I mean? No, uh, most normal people count their meat in pounds or ounces, <laughs> but yeah. I digress. But I'll tell you what, I think we need to be on the watch out for ravens. I think um, I think ravens are getting smarter and Anchorage might just be the first place that's experiencing it, but it'll eventually make its way to West Virginia and Western Maryland where we have to watch out for, but you know what too? There's another side of this, right? Nobody talks about it when it's seagulls. We expect seagulls to do this stuff. Seagulls come hmm. in and swoop in and take everybody's food at the beach. Yeah. 
that's not news. This is news because it's Ravens. So I, I, again, I think what we need to understand is that we just need to start watching out for Ravens. <laughs> so transitioning into <laughs> March Madness, uh, Elite Eight recap. So instead of doing game by game for Elite Eight, let's combine them into the days. Let's go with Monday night first. Oregon State, Houston, Arkansas, Baylor. Well, Oregon State, that was awesome. I mean, you were down, you were down seventeen. You come all the way back. You tie it up. No, I, I can tell you one thing right now. Me and I'm sure you did as well. We did not think they would at least tie it up. I mean, that game was as boring as door on. Um, what's the saying? Boring as. Uh, I, I lost. I lost my. Yes. Yes. Ravens eat meat. <laughs> so. But Houston, we doubted them, and they're in the Final Four for the first time since, I believe, 87, 88, right? So it's been, a, been a long time. It's been since the 80s. And Arkansas Baylor, I mean, we talked about Baylor. It's going to get washed over this weekend, and it's kind of unfair. But the fact that this is their first Final Four appearance in 71 years, I mean, when WVU, the best example I can give is when WVU made the Final Four in 2010. That was the first appearance they had had in 50 some years. That's the last big time memory I have of a school making a Final Four for the first time in a really, really long time. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure there's another school in there somewhere. But Monday night was a lot better than Tuesday night. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. I, I do find, because I don't want to get into our preview while we're doing the elite eight recap. I do think what ended up happening with Oregon state, it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen though. You're down five, six with three seconds left. You're probably, you're probably not going to win the game, but that was shocking that they didn't foul. Shocking that they didn't foul. And they just kind of trapped the Houston player in the corner on a trap, and they had three seconds left. So Baylor, Houston advance on Monday night, and I tell you what, Baylor is very dangerous. Baylor is very dangerous, and, and we're going to talk about them in the Final Four preview. But uh, Monday night was a little was a lot better than Tuesday. Yeah, my. Monday was at least fun to to see Oregon State try to make that comeback and I I think it's hard not to feel good for Houston because I feel like we've even said it on this show where we've we've almost just doubted Houston since the beginning saying oh they could be an upset victim they could be an upset victim and well here they are they've proved pretty much everybody wrong because I think they're one of the not um it's the best way to say it they're one of the not fancy picks you expect people to pick the number ones. You expect people to even pick the number twos. But when you look at the number twos, then you start to say, okay, which one of these teams can I pick that I, you know, that I don't know as much about? It's easy to rule out Houston because they're not as big of a school. They play in a smaller conference. But you know what? Good for them. And it's nothing against Oregon State. I, I mentioned that I would root for them, quotes, um, you know, just because they're the lower seed. But you have to feel good for Houston, too, because they almost still kind of feel like a surprise team in some sense because everybody expects the you know maybe Baylor or Gonzaga to be there which we'll talk about but Houston maybe they didn't have quite the same uh, quite the same uh, projection from folks so 
good for them, but and we alluded to it a little bit in the first half, but Baylor was so good on Monday night. Arkansas tried to stay in the game, but they they just weren't keeping up with Baylor. Baylor, they look like they hit everything. Everything that went up, I was just like, that's going in. That that just felt like a, a menacing game that they put on. And I'm telling you, I still they are still my personal favorite, just the way they look right now. But I well, I know we'll get to it, but Baylor just they they look solid going into the final four and potentially the championship. Tuesday night, boy, that was um that was rough. <laughs> That was um, not great to watch. <laughs> Gonzaga crushes, crushes and dominates USC. Fun fact, uh, if you haven't heard it by uh, a million times by now, you know Gonzaga's beat 29 out of their 30 uh, opponents by double digits, right? You know who the only one that they uh, haven't beat by double digits is? Love those Mountaineers, baby. I mean, you've heard it about a million times since they advanced to the final four 900,000 of them are West Virginia fans just yeah. so you know and Jalen Suggs was just putting on a clinic and their defense is pretty intense and then oh boy oh boy boy oh boy oh boy not good not good at all to watch that visually I love defense or bad shooting performances, and, and if they're not high-scoring games, I don't care about that. But that was just atrocious to watch between UCLA and Michigan. I I mean, incredible. Incredible that UCLA is back in the Final Four for the first time since 2008. And Mick Cronin is a great coach anyway. He was great at Cincinnati. But uh, Michigan's going to be back there, I would imagine, next year and you know maybe even the Final Four next year. I mean, they're just getting started with Jawan Howard because he's taken over a runaway train that John Beeline started in Michigan, and he's just cruising down the train tracks because that's a great team. It's just they had a terrible shooting night. I mean, they couldn't hit free throws either. That was so hard to watch in the second half when it was like 32 to 27 with 10 minutes left, and I was like, am I really – I'm about to make the decision. Do I want to stay up for the rest of this? And I got to the four minute mark in the second half and I was like, ah, I can't do this. I mean, this is just terrible shooting. So, and you know, UCLA held on for the win and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know uh, what to think of Tuesday night. It was pretty ugly, but um, yeah, UCLA. UCLA is is the feel good story of the of the final four because they're the lowest seed. They're a first four team. Everyone loves it, right? The folks that pick UCLA to go in their bracket because they didn't know anything else or the UCLA fans are loving it. It's gonna happen where the one seeds get beat. I, I don't know if we thought I thought Michigan would make it to the championship. I genuinely thought it would probably be a Michigan Baylor championship, but Hey, give it up to UCLA. Even even if it comes on the heels of bad shooting from another team, I'm sure they don't care how they got it done. I can't imagine that going into that locker room, anyone's like, um, you know, if Michigan would have shot better, uh, we'll take the Final Four. <laughs> we'll take the uh, we'll take the um, side of that bracket. We'll take that region's ring. We're not worried about that. Um, as for Gonzaga, though, you know, I I. I still haven't fully gotten on the Gonzaga train, but they also similar to Houston have just continued to prove people wrong. And, and I would 
lump myself in that category because I just didn't think that they would make it this far. But they've continued an undefeated streak that's ran all the way to the Final Four. Uh, I I thought that maybe Michigan would beat them if they played, but I think this matchup certainly favors Gonzaga. Now I think Gonzaga clearly the better team of the two teams. So I don't want to say they have an easy path, but you're you're looking at a Gonzaga team that has you know walked a pretty pretty good road into the Final Four, even if uh, folks thought that they wouldn't get all the way this far. So hey, good for the Zags. Maybe this is the year. Let's stick with them and UCLA going into the Final Four preview. <clears throat> I I saw on ESPN today where they're most of the guys, you know, smart guys are our friend, uh, our friend Seth Greenberg. I did not see what his um, take was, but everyone thinks Gonzaga is going to beat UCLA by just like they've done everyone else this year, except for West Virginia, and beat them by double digits. Uh, I saw someone say. Uh, not from ESPN, but from Fox, that they wouldn't be surprised if Gonzaga wins this, like the Villanova-Oklahoma Final Four game that we touched on earlier, which when they beat Oklahoma, it was like by 35 or 40, something ridiculous. Look, I don't know if it's going to be like that, but I think UCLA, if they beat Gonzaga, it'll be a lot bigger than when Kentucky lost to Wisconsin. Because when Kentucky lost to Wisconsin in the Final Four, Wisconsin was one of the most dangerous teams in the country, and everyone thought that would be a terrible matchup if that's what ended up happening. It was a terrible matchup. Sam Decker was shooting all over. Frank Kaminsky was dominating Willie Cauley-Stein in the paint that night. I go on and on about that game. But this is not two one seeds or a one and a two. This is an 11. This is a one. This is a team that played first day of the Pac-12 tournament. This is a team that basically plays St. Mary's in the quarterfinals and semifinals of their tournament every year, and then they cruise into the tournament as a one or a two seed, and they're expected to get where they are, which is the final four, and they they have a letdown. I don't know. The thing about UCLA, too, their defense has been great, and they've played really well this tournament when it comes to fast break points. They're one of the best teams in the tournament at creating points off turnovers as well. So if they want to have a chance against Gonzaga, I think they need to maybe trap Jalen Suggs or even do a little bit of full court pressure in the first half because if they need it, if they want a chance and shock people in this game, it's it's going to have to be something shocking. And I, I don't think me or you think Gonzaga will be hosting that championship on Monday night, but I do think – me or you believe that they're going to beat UCLA, but I just, I, I feel like there's a lot more pathways for UCLA to win the game than what people are making it out to be. So I think, I think Gonzaga wins this game by double digits, but it'll be one of those games that looks worse than it actually is. If that makes sense. You, you, you and I have both watched basketball games that's much closer than the score actually insinuates. And you've watched ones that are much worse than the score insinuates. But this will be one of those ones where I think UCLA is able to stay in it. Now it's going to be contingent on their shooting and their ability, obviously, to make shots. But if they can stay with Gonzaga, I can see them staying within about six to nine points throughout the game and then maybe end up losing it by about 12 or 13 with free throws at the end. Um, but I, I think that you have to play to your strengths. If you're UCLA, 
and and try to make Gonzaga uncomfortable. Not an easy thing to do. They haven't lost a game all season. But in UCLA's side of this, UCLA is putting together an impressive run from the first four. They've played an extra game that everybody else has. So where we've talked about six games to get to the final, they would have to do seven. But, you know, when when sometimes you get these teams on a run, sometimes it just works. But I do think Gonzaga's too good right now. I think if they're able to beat that pressure, I don't see them having any trouble with UCLA. Uh, again, if UCLA is able to make shots and stick around in the game, I won't be shocked. But I also think, too, that Gonzaga right now is just a better basketball team. You have to love the Cinderella run, but I think Gonzaga just, just sits alone a little bit better. I think that they'll be able to make shots, break that pressure, get UCLA out of their element a little bit, force them to play a little bit more half court, which I think favors Gonzaga. And, and ultimately, I see them in the title game on Monday. Houston Baylor, <clears throat> this might be the better game as far as we could have a potential buzzer beater type scenario, I feel like or at least an overtime possibility in this game. And it's the, and it's the first game, the five, the five o'clock game. I, I really like Baylor, man. I really, really love Baylor. I would not be shocked if Monday comes and it's a Baylor Gonzaga final and Baylor hits a three to go up by four with 10 seconds left. And they're hosting a championship in Waco. Because what makes Baylor so dangerous is Gonzaga's weakness, if that makes sense. Gonzaga's weakness, if there is one, in that West Virginia game, what did West Virginia do? They pressured Gonzaga. They played a little bit of full-court pressure in the first half. They did a little bit in the second. They trapped them. What does Baylor like to do from, what, from me and you watching Baylor all year? Baylor likes to do kind of the same thing, and Baylor is – what are they? They're very physical in the paint. And – I don't know. I think, I think Baylor Gonzaga could be the final. <clears throat> I think that would be great for March madness. Uh, the ratings have been killing it. Um, it's been one of the most watched March madnesses of all time. I will say this, whoever comes out of that UCLA Gonzaga game is good because UCLA, you have the whole LA city, you know, the, the biggest market in the world and Gonzaga people want to see something that hasn't been done since the seventies if they get to the championship game, but I really like Baylor, man. I, I know we keep sleeping on Houston and we didn't even think they'd get here, but I don't know. There's just something I, I there's a difference between hot runs and playing a week, week schedule that Houston, the reason I'm, I think they'll lose this game is twofold. Baylor is super physical inside the paint and they make the right passes when it comes down to transition. Secondly, Houston for whatever it's worth, they should have lost that Rutgers game. I, I know that we keep mm -hmm. kind of tearing down Houston, but they really should have lost that Rutgers game. I mean, the fact that they got out of there with the win was pretty remarkable. Well, and I mean, you also have to respect too then their ability to turn it in and, and make a run off of it. I've, I've said since the beginning that the team that is going to make it to the championship is going to have a game where you probably even say hmm, they probably should have lost that game. That's, that's the way it happens. I mean, to win six or seven games in a row and, and win a championship is not easy. And it really even suggests, again, that there will be times that you're not on your A game. But I think just, just – and, and I'm even just thinking of the Arkansas game that, that took place on Monday. 
if Baylor can make shots and remain physical, I, I just don't think there's a better team than Baylor this year. And I, I understand that, you know, basketball is, is kind of a game of shooting where if you have an off night, you can be, you can be ousted pretty quick, but I just don't see that happening with Baylor. Baylor has been so dominant throughout this tournament and, and just their ability to shoot the ball and be physical. I don't think Houston is a, is a complete liability. I think you're right. I think this is probably going to be the better game of the two. I don't know. Baylor to me, just, they just feel like the better team of this too. And, and if this is the end for Houston in the final four, I think you and I can agree. This is much farther than most people would have ever had them going in the tournament. Uh, I, I think that even experts maybe would have said, ah, maybe elite eight at best, but for them to make it here is a huge victory. But if they can somehow, you know, minimize this pressure, knock down some shots, make your free throws, because inevitably there will be fouls. Maybe Houston can win it. Maybe if Houston plays outside of Baylor's game, they can win this game and take it in. I wouldn't say I would be shocked. I would be a little shocked. But again, I think of these two teams, Baylor just stands out to me as the better team, more physical ability to make shots. We'll see what happens, though. I think we'll see Baylor and Gonzaga on Monday. Um, and again, Baylor still just sticks out to me as the better team. Maybe that's my Big 12 bias showing, but I, I think Baylor is the is the best of the four remaining. Well, Ryan, going into the weekend, big final four, obviously baseball opening week now. And next week's a massive week. You got Masters week, you got WrestleMania, you got baseball, you got hockey, you got NBA, you got championships Sunday and Monday. But if they want to stay up all the, for us, keeping them up to date on the news, how are they going to do that? Well, if you're checking us out and you're listening to this show right now, I assume that you're doing it on Apple or Spotify. So make sure that you are, again, on Apple or Spotify, that you have subscribed to the show, that you have rated the show, and that you have left a review for the show on whichever your preferred platform is, whether you're an Apple user or whether you're an Android user. I was about to say iOS, and I realized it was the same thing. Whether you're an Apple user or an Android user, find us on Apple, Spotify, whichever your preferred platform is subscribe make sure you're ready to get those episode drops but to follow us along on social media for updates throughout the week make sure that you're following us on facebook twitter instagram and tiktok at two ryan sports show on each of those platforms goes the same on apple and spotify as well so that's the two ryan sports show to listen to the shows on apple and spotify two ryan sports show on social as well facebook twitter instagram and tiktok and we'll see everyone next week for a massive week in sports. Get ready, folks. This is, this is the week. <laughs>